talking about resurrection power. Resurrection power. And I want to read... Let's... Let's start at verse 19, and we'll go down to verse 9, but we're not going to go that far in the teaching. <laughs> I'm just going to read it so you can get the theme of it. Verse, uh, what did I say? 19. Thank you. What is exceeding greatness of power? There you go. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Excuse me. And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that falleth, that filleth all in all. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, Wherein time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ." And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we ask the Lord to add the blessing to the reading of his word. <coughs> Excuse me. Resurrection power. The flow from chapter 1, those last few verses, into chapter 2 is about the resurrection. And what Paul is doing is he's pointing Christians to the power of God. Why is that? He points us to the power of God because the source of our salvation comes from God and the security of our salvation comes from God. You have nothing to do with keeping yourself saved. God keeps you saved. You are taken by Him. Loved by Him, saved by Him, and secured by Him. Jesus stands as your surety. And so Paul is pointing us to the power of God. And, that's be, and he's doing this because this first section of Ephesians is all about your position in Christ. Your position in Christ. Christ is in heaven. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian, born again and know the Lord, then you're in heaven too. Say, well, I don't feel like I'm in heaven. I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> well, positionally, you are basically in heaven. You're in Christ. You are one with Him. And then chapter 2 opens up with a graphic description. Paul's talking about the resurrection, the power of God. And then in chapter, in chapter 2, Paul describes what we are by nature and what we deserve. And he does it graphically. And then he gives us a powerful explanation of the power of God that's been used to change us. It's resurrection power. I heard Martin Lloyd-Jones say this week in a recording that creation is an incredible work of God. Would you agree with that? Creating everything from nothing? Lloyd-Jones said he felt like that salvation, the regeneration of the soul, was more powerful and more wonderful than even creation. 
Because God took the dead and made them live and gave them righteousness, accounted them as holy and made them his very own people. It's an incredible thing to think about. So the first thing tonight is I want to talk to you briefly about the union of the body and the head. The union of the body and the head. And that's in the last part of chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, where Paul says that Jesus Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. And he does it by describing the union of body and head. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to know just as our heads keep our body going, Everything that works from the neck down is controlled by the brain. And if your brain goes out, well, you're in bad shape. The head is the source. Right, even right now, you're thinking. We talk about having knowing in my heart. But you know, it's a metaphor for the mind. The mind, we're thinking of consciousness. It's up here. And Paul says that our body is connected to the head. The head is the source of life, and all of our vital functions of the natural body are controlled by the head. And so it is with the spiritual body. It's controlled by and kept alive by and cared for by the head. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the head. Christ is our head. Now, Christ is a head who's already died and then been resurrected. <laughs> He died once and rose from the grave victorious, and he can never die again. So you don't have to worry about your head dying. You might worry about this head dying, but you don't have to worry about Jesus dying. He's already died, and he came back from the grave and victorious. Our head will never die, and if our head will never die, then our body will never, then his body will never die either. And that's you and me who are Christians. Our head will never die, so neither will his body. And here in chapter 1, he's talking about the church. Look at what he says here. He's put all, this is verse 22, and he hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. When I read that, a question leaps into my mind. Well, what about a church that ceases to exist? I mean, a, a local church. What about a local church that ceases to exist? If it's a body and it goes out of business, closes up, members pass away or move away, the body dies, right? Not so. Not so. You see, the visible is a type of the true. Local churches are, are images, imperfect images of the true, the true body of Christ, you might say. The local churches, they do close up and disappear sometimes. It happens. It happens. But the body of Christ, all of his saved sheep, that never dies. That never dies. The body of Christ, all the saints from all of eternity. We think about, remember Jesus said uh, about Jews believing that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he says, I'm not the God of the dead. (laughs) I'm the God of the living. Everyone who's been made alive, been regenerated, is still alive. They're alive in heaven right now. Even though their bodies are in the grave, they're alive in heaven. And they will live again in their bodies in the resurrection. So our head has already died, and he has given to his body everlasting life because that's what Christ has, that's what Christ possesses. And Paul is talking about this. He's connecting the power of God over the grave to resurrect Jesus. That same power has been used on you. So you will never die. 
say, well, uh, then why is there graveyards? Why do we talk about so-and-so passed away or so-and-so died? Their body dies, but the soul lives forever. The soul of the Christian, Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But those who are not Christians, they're, they're still alive too. But they're not alive in a place they want to be. They're alive in hell, a place of conscious torment, which is going to be followed by a place of worse torment, the lake of fire. But Christians, we're, we have life, and it's a life you don't, want to, you don't want to get tired of. Have you ever thought about old brother Lazarus in John chapter 11? Dead four days. Where was his soul at for four days? Well, had to be with the Lord. <laughs> had to be in heaven. And then the Lord Jesus raises him from the dead and he had to come back. <laughs> what, what a pain in the neck that was. Had to come back. Have you ever heard that song by Carmen where he talks about Lazarus coming forth and Lazarus is there and he doesn't want to leave. He's talking with Abraham and Moses and, and Daniel and he doesn't want to come back. And, and the Lord says, Lazarus, Lazarus, I, th- I think there's a number of, I can't remember, in the song I think it says Lazarus three or four times because that's how long it took him to get him to leave <laughs> and come out of there. Well, let's look at the second thing. Notice in the reading in chapter 2, there's two words that pop out, the quick and the dead. Quick and dead. Now the word dead, the word quick appears here twice in our text. It appears throughout the scripture in verse 1 and 5, the word quick. And the word quick in here means to be made alive, to be made alive. Um, I'm not going to talk about that. And then the word dead appears right alongside of it, quick and dead. And what Paul does is he is making a contrast of the two. He says that those who are dead have been quickened. Look at verse number 1. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In verse number 5, and when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. So Paul sets up the contrast. Without Christ, dead. With Christ, alive. But more than just alive, everlastingly alive. The two realities that he sets up here are without Christ, it's death. With Christ, it's life. And we can call this a resurrection without doing any injustice to the Scripture. A resurrection. Because we have passed from death unto life. Not temporary life, not uh, probationary life, but everlasting life is ours through the power of God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to a third thing. is the power of God that's unleashed upon us. So we're dead who've been made alive. And then we have the power of God described here. It's, it's illustrated for us. The power of God is stronger than our very natures, than the way we are naturally existing. In verses 2 and 3, he says what we are by nature. Look at verse 2. In time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince, the power of the air. And that's got to be talking about Satan the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation or behavior in times past in fulfilling the, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as others. This is what we were by nature. What Paul is saying is that by nature, by what we are because of our natural birth, we're bad. We're sinners. 
that we think about things that we want to do to satisfy ourselves, and then we do whatever it takes to satisfy ourselves. That's what we do. It's our nature. But God's power is greater than our nature. You ever looked at somebody and thought, they'll never change. They will never, never change. But my friends, when God, when God gives a person new life, they're not going to be the same. They're not going to be perfected overnight, but they are not going to be like what they were. God is going to change them. And because uh, God's power is greater than ours. Don't forget that. You got limited power, but God can change. God can change you, and He will change it. He gives you new life. If there's anything that is true in the world, it's that mankind is depraved. Even the most refined and cultured people will somewhere in their life demonstrate their depravity. <laughs> it's that you got some old, some old person. And I say old, I don't mean old, O-L-D. I mean old, O-L, apostrophe. Some old boy, some old girl. And, uh, and they're pretty refined. They got their act together. They know how to talk and how to work and how to manage everything. They're really pristine people, except when they're playing cards. It's when they're playing cards, bridge, or gin rummy, or what other games we play with cards? Poker. <laughs> or, or 20, or when I was a kid, we played 21. And uh, it was later on when I figured out that we were actually playing blackjack. <laughs> but but it's, in, it's, in, it's in those contests where the depraved nature comes out. I had a cousin, and this particular cousin... They would cheat. If you let them be the banker when you're playing Monopoly, they never run out of money. They're always pulling a few extra bills for themselves. Always cheating. And that's, you say, well, that's not really depravity. That's depravity. It comes out somewhere, this sinful desire to get ahead, to cheat, to do whatever it takes. It's going to come out somewhere. It's going to come out somewhere. And that's just where we can see it. But that depraved nature rages inside of everybody. And guess who sees that? God sees it. God sees it. Our nature. But God is more powerful than our nature. God gives us new life. He gives us, He makes us a new creation. The Holy Spirit comes in and we're passed from death into life. We're quickened. We're made alive. Made alive. Now, then he says here that God's power is greater than even our being. We're the children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. It's coming on us by nature, by deserts. Have you ever seen a bully harassing somebody and they're giving somebody a hard time? And then you ever see that bully, you know, do something, do, treat some little kid badly and then turn around and trip over his own feet, boom, fall right on his face? Or see some bully harassing some kid and then see the bully get bullied by somebody else and smack him in the face. Or push them down. It's great to see the bully get what they deserve, right? It's awesome. We all enjoy those kind of things. But the bully gets what he deserves because of his actions. And my friends, sinners get what they deserve because of their actions. We are the children of wrath by nature. And it takes God to come and save us. Every person who is in hell now or who will go to hell in the future will go there not because they weren't elect, not because Jesus didn't die for them, but they'll go there because they deserve it. They deserve it. Every person 
who goes to hell goes there because of the actual sins they committed. That's Romans 1. When they knew God, they chose not to honor Him as God. When they knew the law of God, they rebelled against it. And they're, they're punished for their actual sins. And the opposite is also true. Every person who is in heaven now or who will go to heaven in the future will do so because of God's mercy, not because of their merits or deeds or behavior or their gifts. They're going to go to heaven because of the mercy of God, the mercy of God. Which brings us to a fourth thing, the wealth of God in mercy. The wealth of God's mercy. And that's in verses 4 to 9. It runs all the way through. Now here in the authorized version, verses 4 to 9 appear as one sentence. One sentence. And it's actually a really beautiful sentence. It's a great sentence. The reality mentioned here of our salvation, the reality of our salvation and the security that our salvation that we have, it does not come from us, it comes from God. That's what verses 4 to 9 are all about. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy. This word rich here could be translated abundant. He is abundant in mercy. And where does this mercy come from? His great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, he loved us. And he quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Why? So that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. We don't deserve to be saved. We don't deserve God's love, God's affection. We're sinners. But what do we get? We get the riches of heaven. We get Christ. And then verse 8 and 9. Where, where does this come from? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works as any man should boast. As I was reading verse number 7, I realized that my eyes put a trick on me earlier today. That's not a comma. It's a period. <laughs> so it's two sentences. Two sentences in four to nine. Two sentences. So the fountain here that we see the fountain that is flowing with, clean, with the cleansing river of salvation here, it starts with God's mercy, His mercy. And this mercy is not a little trickle. We had some rain, you know, over the last few days, and we've had, all, we've had every kind of rain. We've had a misting, we've had a sprinkling, we've had a torrential downpour. Now, the mercy that God is dispensing is not a little bit of mercy. It's a lot of mercy. It's a big river of mercy. It's a fountain that is splitting the world and shaking the world, the mercy of God. It's, it's an incredible thing. This mercy is abounding mercy. It's rich mercy. It's extended to people who are by their very nature and by their existence deserving of God's wrath, but He's merciful towards them, treating them better than they deserve. Better than they deserve, God's mercy. The wealth of God in mercy. The richness of His mercy. He's rich in mercy. How does the reading go exactly? He is who is rich in mercy because of His love towards us. Remember in the Old Testament, we just finished through this reading. If you're following the Bible reading schedule we give out from time to time. When God was giving to Israel the Ten Commandments, in chapter 19, verse number 7, God brings him up there and he says, 
Moses says, you're the people of God, so do what God says. And the people say, Exodus 19.7, they say, all that God says we will do. And then God gives them the Ten Commandments. And then after they get the Ten Commandments, Moses disappears for 40 days. And they don't know what's happened to Moses. So they say to Aaron, they say, Aaron, make us a god. Make us an idol. We need something to worship here. And so Aaron says, you have to take all the earrings out of your ears and I'll melt it down and, and I'll make something. So he makes a golden calf because that's what they worshiped back in Egypt. They had calves, golden calves. He makes a golden calf. And while Israel is down there worshiping an idol, breaking God's law, you know what God is doing up on the mountain? He's telling Abraham what Israel's going to have, Moses, he's telling Moses what Israel's going to have to do to be reconciled to God because of their sin. So while they're down there sinning, breaking his law, he's telling Moses how Israel can be reconciled to God. That's mercy. That is God's mercy. It's rich. It's rich. God doesn't love you because you're not a sinner. He loves you in spite of your sins. And He knows all your sins. I only know part of them. You only know part of mine. And every, All of us got these little corners of our heart on the inside where nobody can see that we don't let anybody know about. These little private places. Sometimes people will create, you know, this, it's amazing the sins that people have that nobody knows about. Then, you know, sometimes it, it comes out and you're like, mind blown. But people are sinners. God knows every bit of them. Think about that. In Matthew, it says, we'll give account for every idle word. I think it's Matthew chapter 12. Idle words. That's chewing the fat. You ever just chew the fat with somebody? You just chit, 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 chit. <laughs> And we say things we don't mean to say, or we say too much or too little or exaggerate, you know. I caught a fish the other day, man. It was a nice one, you know, but it wasn't like that. It was like that <laughs> or like that. <laughs> I caught a fish a while back over at Medicine Creek. I was trying to catch a trout, and I was using a, an artificial, like a minnow, like an artificial uh, little I don't know what they're called. It's a little rattle trap. But it was about that long. And I caught a fish that was almost the same length. <laughs> I was, and, and the fish didn't even bite the hook. The, the fish had, must have swum by and banged into it because I hooked him in the side. And so it was just, just, a little, just a little fish, you know. But, you know, Valerie, she said, you catch any fish? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I caught fish. I didn't tell her how big it was. But I said, I caught a fish. And so... But we, we are sinners from the inside to the outside, and God knows. He doesn't just know in general, like we say in general, oh, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner. In general, God knows specifically, and He's always known. Before the world was made, God knew what you and I would be as sinners. And He still sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. He knew when we would fail Him. Remember Brother Peter? Jesus said, You're gonna, Peter said, I'm not going to leave you, Lord. Peter, and the Lord said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows tonight. And what happened? The exact thing happened. But you see, God knew that was going to happen before the foundation of the world. 
He knew you're, he knew Peter was going to mess up, was going to deny him. He knew you were going to turn cold, you know, on him from time to time. But his love, his mercy is rich. It never goes away in spite of our indifference sometimes. He's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Let's talk about the source of this mercy. The source of this rich, abundant mercy is his great love. Is his great love. Great love. Man. It's great to be loved, isn't it? It's great to feel somebody's love. It's great to feel somebody's love. You know, a wife, a wife can make her husband feel pretty loved. All the things she does for him. Washing his clothes, cooking his food, keeping up with his pills, <laughs> managing his calendar for him, you know, putting the socks together. That's always a blessing. I don't care if my socks match. In fact, sometimes I, I like to wear a gray one and a black one <laughs> just for fun. And one of them inside out. <laughs> but why, a wife, she shows love. To, and, then, and then a husband can show great love to his wife. And, and, it's not, and sometimes us men, we just, you know, we pay, we, we make the money. We change the tires on the car. We put gas in. We do all the things. But every once in a while, a husband does something for his wife that's unusual. Maybe he'll write her a note and put it somewhere and she'll find it. Or buy a gift. Isn't it great to feel loved? Isn't it great when your kid does something for you for your birthday or just because without you having to remind them, my birthday's tomorrow? (laughs) It's great to feel loved. And God has loved you and me with this great intentional love, not accidental, intentional love. The, the Greek word here for great normally is mega, mega love. He loved you big time, great love. How much did he love you? We know the answer, don't we? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he did what? He gave Jesus. He gave His only begotten Son. His great love. The mercy of God is great. And it's triggered by His love. That's why, you know, we, we, the people we love, we're really merciful with. I love, I love my kids. You love yours. And because I love them, what do you put up with from your kids? All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. You ever, you ever, uh, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I, th- I think all the parents know. And then, you know, kids, let's, 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 let's give them some airtime. You know, kids put up with parents. Parents who can't make up their mind. <laughs> parents who say, after a while, after a while, my dad said to me when I was a kid, I'd say, Dad, can we go do this? Yeah, after a while. How long is after a while? How long is it? One time I asked my dad after a while, you know what he said? When I'm ready. (laughs) After a while, but you know, that's but love, that's what love does. Love extends mercy. Love covers a multitude of transgressions. What are the results of God's love? It's right there in five, six, seven, eight, and nine. The results of God's love is he quickens us. He makes us live. He raises us to the heavenly places. Verse 7, he destines us for incredible things. In verses 8 and 9, all of this is assured by our faith. 
Salvation is from God, received by us through faith, not performance. Not performance. Can I earn your love and affection? Certainly you can. Certainly I can. But what if I let you down? Are you going to quit loving me? Well, could happen. Could happen. But our relationship with God doesn't rest on performance. It's faith in Him. Put your trust in Him, and His attitude towards you will never change. Never, ever, ever change. This is our position in Christ. This is a position given to us by the Almighty, all-powerful God of heaven, through His Son, Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's pray together. And let's, let's remember these prayer requests. I'll read back over them uh, here. Remember Mary Crow.